So where did we leave Jacob uh, two weeks ago? Uh, was in uh, at the end of chapter 32, and he had just uh, sent his family across the Jabbok River. He's about to meet Esau, his twin brother. And Jacob is on this side of the river, and it's nighttime, and he wrestles all night with a strange man who turns out to be none other than, a, than, a, uh, than, than God, uh, an angel, God coming in the form of a, of a man in a temporary way to wrestle with Jacob. Uh, and then at the end of the wrestling match, he asks Jacob a question, what's your name? Jacob finally answers with the truth and says, Jacob. And then God touched him on the hip and gave him a limp. Uh, and Jacob went from that night the next day out to meet Esau, utterly exhausted probably, and limping, and finally telling the truth. So how's it going to go? That's what we're going to find out today. You say, well, he's going to meet his twin brother Esau. How nice. Not really. The last time he met Esau was 20 years ago, and Esau wanted to kill him because Jacob had deceived and lied and ripped off his brother in a bad way. Jacob was totally in the wrong, and Esau was hurting and bitter and angry and wanted to kill Jacob. As far as Jacob knows, he still wants to kill me. He doesn't know a thought that Esau has been thinking over the past 20 years. But Jacob is a very different man now than he was 20 years ago. And uh, so as we read through the chapter, I want uh, to look for evidence. Uh, don't, don't trust words. Let's look for fruit. Let's look for evidence uh, of, of uh, changes in Jacob's life over the past 20 years as God has been revealing himself to him and humbling him and teaching him faith. Uh, and the evidence that we're looking for is found in Jacob's words, in his attitudes, and in his actions. So let's read chapter 33. I'll read slowly and uh, be stopping here and there to point things out, which I consider to be important evidences that Jacob is a different man. Verse 1, Jacob looked up and there was Esau, uh-oh, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. Uh, about Esau and the 400 men, you ever watch Star Trek? You know who the Klingons are? Yeah, there'd be 400 Klingons coming with Esau, uh, or uh, 400 Vikings uh, on a raid. I mean, these, these guys were not librarians, okay? They were, they were warriors. And Jacob looks up, and he sees Esau, who he thinks still wants to kill him, and 400 men with him, and he probably just said, gulp, Lord help me. But he wasn't running away, not this time. And so... Uh, he divides up his family. Verse 3, he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground. He's going ahead of all of his family, all of his flocks, all of his herds. He himself went on ahead, very vulnerable, first guy out, and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his father. This bowing down to the ground seven times is basically paying homage. Uh, and this is seven times is homage fit for a king. He's going all out. Verse 4, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. Can I read that again? Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. 
Then Esau looked up and saw the women and the children, and who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Something to notice in that answer. First words, Jacob speaks to his brother, and he's talking about God. The last time Esau knew him, Jacob didn't give two hoots about God. And now the first words out of his mouth are, these are the children that God has given me. Not only that, God has graciously given me. And then he says, he refers to himself as your servant. That's all new and indicative of a whole new view that Jacob has of himself. He's not the deceiver anymore. He's not always fighting to get the upper hand over Esau anymore. He's not Esau's superior. He is now calling himself your servant. Verse 6, then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. So Jacob sort of steps aside and first part of the company comes and they bow down to Esau. Next, Leah and her children come, came and bowed down. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. A lot of bowing, a lot of homage being paid. Esau standing there with wrinkles on his brow, and he says in verse 8, Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and these herds that I met? The answer from Jacob, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said, my Lord? That means my superior? And what am I looking for? I'm looking for your favor. Because I know I'm out of your favor. And I need it and I want it. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Esau's being magne mag mag what's the word? Mag 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 magnanimous. It's being nice. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he says, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. I mean, uh, life has been good for Esau, apparently. I like how he calls him my brother. Not you little skunk. My brother. Verse 10. No, please, said Jacob. Jacob saying please? Uh-huh. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. He's talking a lot about favor here. If I have found favor in your eyes, I'm coming to find favor. Uh, and you have received me so favorably. You know, to say, when I see your face, it's like seeing the face of God. You could not give a higher compliment to a person. It's like seeing the face of God. Oh my goodness, something heavy is going on here. Verse 11, here's the please word again. Please, please accept the present that was brought to you. Talking about God again, for God has been gracious to me. And I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Verse 12, then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. That's a nice offer. It wasn't like, hey, good to meet your brother, now I got to go. Let's, let's, let's amalgamate and combine our, our companies here. But Jacob said to him, my Lord, there's Lord again, my Lord knows that the children are tender. 
and that I must care for the ewes and the cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. Remember, Esau has 400 very uh, fit men, and Jacob has cows, cattle, goats, probably chickens, sheep, children, wives. Uh, this is part of they, they could not move fast, and they were vulnerable. Verse 14, so let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and the herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. That's Esau's home territory now. It's a reasonable request, a reasonable explanation. I sort of wondered at first, maybe Jacob was just trying to get away from Esau like they made up and now, he, now he's trying, okay, you go ahead, brother, and I'm fine, but maybe, but, but it's reasonable that these were two very different groups of people and they wouldn't have been able to travel well together. So to keep the peace, you go ahead, brother, and me and all my company will we'll catch up later, which, which he did. Verse 15, Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you, kind of offering protection, bodyguards here. That's, that's a nice gesture from a warrior. But why do that, Jacob asked. Just let me find favor. Here's the favor word again. The fourth time, I'm looking for favor. Just let me find favor, because I know I've offended you and hurt you terribly. He's serious about this. Let me find favor in your eyes, my Lord. Fifth time he uses the word Lord. So that day Jacob started on his way back to Seir. Sorry, Esau started on his way. Verse 17, Jacob, however, went to Sukkoth, Sukkot, I think you would call it, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Sukkot. After Jacob came from Padam Aram, which was where Laban was, remember he spent 20 years there, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan. Canaan is, is his home country. And he camped within sight of the city for a hundred pieces of silver. He bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. He's going to settle in for a while. Verse 20, there he set up an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. So there's our chapter. <clears throat> and uh, a lot of beautiful things happening in that chapter. And I would say a lot of evidence, consistent, uh, honest evidence of the change in Jacob's life, heart, words, and attitude. Let's go back to verse 3, if you would. So Esau is standing in there. Let's just look at this little verse 3. Uh, Through the eyes of Esau. And maybe he hasn't decided yet. Am I going to kill Jacob or what? Let's just see what happens. He, Jacob, himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. I told you about the seven times, homage, etc. Remember, Jacob was exhausted from the night before. Remember, he now had a limp. And I would speculate it wasn't easy to bow down to the ground even once. And so Esau's standing there with his arms folded, 400 warriors behind him, and he's watching this curious sight, and Jacob is limping and getting a little closer, and then he, and then he bows down, and like he's right down on all fours, face to the ground, that's how you do it. And then he pauses for a moment, and then he struggles back to his 
feet, a painful process. Takes a couple more steps, down he goes again. It hurts, down right to the ground. I'll do it for you. Like he's down here like this, and then he struggles, and he's hurting, and he struggles back to his feet again. And he does a couple more steps, and he's down the third time, and then the fourth time, and then the fifth time, and the sixth time, and the seventh time. And Esau's heart is changing every time. He's quite touched by the, what he's seeing in his brother, Jacob. You know, often we meet strength with strength, right? I got to go. I got to meet my brother Esau. I got to go strong. You got to go in big. You go in strong. And, uh, and that's how nations do negotiations and form peace treaties. You, you meet strength with strength. Esau and his 400 men are being approached not with strength, but with vulnerability and weakness. Probably looks a little pathetic. And yet Jacob is resolutely not turning away. He's coming right for Esau. There's something that he wants. He wants his favor. <clears throat> Verse 4. Jacob maybe is possibly expecting contempt from Esau. Bitter accusations. A rising up of the anger again. Maybe violence. Maybe rejection. But what he encounters is warmth. Enthusiasm. An embrace, a bear hug. I, I, I have this funny picture in my mind of Esau, big, hairy, we know he was hairy, big, you know, big Viking sort of a guy, and, and Jacob kind of a more bookish sort of guy, and, and Esau grabs him and hugs him, and he's like this, and Jacob's kind of flopping in the air like, it's nice to see you, brother, you know, something like that. But it was overwhelming. It's what we call reconciliation. I want to talk about reconciliation for a few moments. Reconciliation, kind of the standard definition, is that two parties or two individuals or two groups who have been at odds or at enmity with one another, and that enmity now has been resolved. It's been removed, and the, and the door is open again. It's like, it's like two parties standing, one party this way, the other party this way, back to back, no relationship. And when reconciliation happens, they're face to face. And there's no barrier between them anymore. <clears throat> the results of reconciliation are forgiveness and restoration of a relationship. And what was frozen and intractable is now thawed. Uh, bitterness is gone. And from, it's from back to back, now face to face. And we've seen here a reconciliation between two brothers after 20 years of uh, no relationship whatsoever. I want to pause here just for a minute, if I could, and just talk personally about us here at Grace. God cares about all of our relationships. <clears throat> and I'm wondering, is reconciliation needed between anybody and anybody here in our church? Is there somebody that you'd rather not see? Somebody that you're not talking to? Somebody that there's, there's something in the pit of your stomach that says, I don't like that guy, that woman. God cares very much about this. And I'll proceed to show you how much he cares. <clears throat> Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're presenting your gift 
at the altar. In other words, you're coming to worship. And you remember that your brother has something against you. He says, put your gift down. Go to your brother and be reconciled first. Uses the word first. And then present your gift. In other words, relationships and reconciliation are more important than going through the, the motions of worship that something's not right with you and somebody. I just want to put that out there. I don't know of any two names that I could say here in our midst, but I do know something. We're all sinful humans. And probably lots of us, whether it's a big thing or just a little thing, need to take a step. Follow the good example of Jacob, painfully bowing down to approach his brother, but he was going to approach him and seek his favor, and he did. He was a humbled man. You know, pride can keep us from seeking reconciliation or doubt, like it would never work. It would just never work. Who are you to say that? You believe in God? A God who wants it to work? He'll help you. Do a hard thing. Even if you think, I can't do that. If God wants you to do that, he will help you do that. We're praying for a lead pastor. I think prayers can be hindered when things are not right between people in the church that's praying. So if there is any such situation, remember Jacob and Esau. If those guys can get it together, we can too. I don't want our prayers to be hindered by anything or for God's blessing to be blocked in our church. It was at this point, as I marveled at this passage, <clears throat> that verse 4 just almost jumped off the page. Verse 4 says, But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. I remembered another verse that sounds just like that in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the parable of the prodigal son? And the son was estranged. He hurt his father, but the father was there waiting for the son to come home. Finally, the son goes through a big change of heart, repentance, and he's coming back home. And we read, these are words from Jesus, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Back to Genesis, Esau ran to meet Jacob, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. Was Jesus thinking of Jacob and Esau when he told this parable? I'll bet you a donut he was. And I bet his listeners, being Jewish, knew exactly what he was talking about because they knew their scriptures. They knew the stories. They would have known this story. A beautiful picture of reconciliation. Esau being reconciled to repentant Jacob is a picture of the father in the prodigal son's story being reconciled with his humbled, wayward son. But those two pictures are pictures of something else. God is seeking reconciliation with every one of us. We are all Jacob. 
We are all the prodigal son, and God in his love and his grace wants to be reconciled to you and to me. And that's the heart and soul of the gospel. Reconciliation is at the heart of the Christian gospel. Why did Jesus come from earth, from heaven to earth? It was to pursue reconciliation with us. Our sins have estranged us from God. They're a barrier between us and God. And he came to address that problem. The reconciliation of Jacob to Esau is a little reconciliation. The reconciliation of God to us sinners is the big one. So we need to talk about that a little bit more. We sing at Christmas time in, uh, I think it's Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's why he came. Slide number eight and nine, if we could. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul the Apostle talks quite a bit here about reconciliation. He talks about the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation and just the act of reconciliation. So we'll just read through, the, uh, through this chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, because it's so central to the gospel message. <clears throat> Paul says in verse 18, <clears throat> all this is from God. He's been talking about us being made new in Christ. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Notice that it was God who did the reconciliation. He reconciled us to himself. How? This is really important. How? Through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's the ministry of reconciliation that Paul had? And consequently, we all have. That is to proclaim this message, this good news. Gospel means good news. We proclaim it to the world. That's our ministry in some form or another. That's the ministry of our church. Proclaim to the city of Guelph. God has made reconciliation and he awaits our response. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19. That, the ministry of reconciliation is this. That God was reconciling the world to himself. Here it is again. In Christ Something that Christ was, something that Christ did is central and it triggers and makes reconciliation possible. It's his death on the cross. Remember, sin is the problem. Jesus came to address the problem. He died for our sins, removed the problem, uh, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Uh, we represent Christ, we Christians, to the world. We are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. God is speaking through the church, through you, through me. He's making an appeal through us to our friends and the world around us. Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're, we're, we're inviting the world. We sang songs of invitation here this morning, inviting people to the altar and to Christ and to the waters. And, and, uh, and here, the big one is, be reconciled to God. Come. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him. To summarize, Paul implores people to be reconciled to God. There are no excuses anymore, no impediments to being reconciled to God. In the cross of Christ, everything has been provided. 
A way has been provided. A door has been opened. The sins have been removed in Christ. Our sins have been paid for. The conditions for reconciliation are ideal. There is nothing more that God can do. He's already done far more than you would ever think he would do. It's amazing to think about the gospel. He awaits our response to simply turn in repentance and faith and to fall into his arms forever. <clears throat> you might say, well, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I should turn or not. Well, I hope he would accept me. My friend, he already has. It's already done. The door is open. Your sins have been paid for. He just awaits you to come and embrace him in faith, in repentance. Nothing to do, no works to do, no right church to join, just come to Christ. The gospel invites us. One last thing to note before we finish. <clears throat> Slide seven. We're going back to Genesis 33 here. <clears throat> Earlier in the story, you'll remember, about six weeks ago, Jacob did not know God. He didn't care about God. He didn't pray. He didn't worship God. He didn't serve God. God was not his God. He didn't have a God other than maybe himself. But after his strange dream in chapter 28, remember he slept on the rock and he saw the ladder and God appeared to him, etc. God spoke some words of promise to him. I'll take care of you on your journey. After his strange dream, he at least became aware of God and he made a vow. Here is what he said. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me as he had spoken of, if he will be with me, and will watch over me on this journey that I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Dot, dot, dot. Then the Lord will be my God. That's a huge change of life and heart when the Lord becomes your God. So what did he say? If he will watch over me, give me food, give me clothing, and return me to my home country safely, then he'll become my God. <clears throat> Jacob at that point naively thought, this will probably take a few weeks, maybe a couple of months. Then I'll go back home, Esau will be cooled off, and everything will be fine. Little did he realize in his wildest dreams this was going to take 20 years. 20 years, hundreds of miles of travel, all kinds of life experiences, some of them Good and some of them very difficult. And later we read this in our chapter this morning, chapter 33, verses 18 to 20. Jacob has returned. He's reconciled. He's wrestled with God. He's reconciled with Esau. He's back in Canaan. He set up his little camp there. And after Jacob came from Padan Haram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan, that was his home country, and he camped within sight of the city for a hundred pieces of silver. He, brought, he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. Now, I want you to notice two words. And back in chapter 28, he said, if God will bring me back safely. And here in chapter 20, 33, as we read him finally coming back, it says he returned 
safely. God had kept his promise. It took a while, but he kept his promise. Will Jacob keep his, that God will become my God? Verse 20. There he set up an altar, which is a place of worship, and called it El Elohi Israel, which means, basically, God is the God of Israel. Or, the Lord will be my God. Something like that. That's exactly what it means. Jacob has also kept his promise, his vow, that God would become his God. It took a long time, but God had his man, the man who would forever be known as the father of the nation of Israel. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how wise you are, how persistent you are, how gracious you are, and yet how stubborn we are, how dull and obtuse we can be, and yet, strangely, how loved we are, how kind you are, how amazing is your grace. As we have watched you deal with Jacob, we have learned more of who you are, and we worship you this morning. Amen.